have to be able to lead your team to believe in behind what what you're doing um, and and for all of them to contribute to because they're part of the making of it right and and that could be really exciting because the ownership is so huge in that space whereas you know if you're if you have your mandate yes it's very clear what you need to do but that's also really not that exciting because you're just delivering on what what somebody had told you to do welcome to work matters where we explore what leaders can do to make work more productive valuable meaningful and impactful I am your host, Thomas Bertels. Today's topic is entrepreneurship. How to build an innovative business inside the confines of a larger organization, which presents unique challenges and opportunities. I am talking with Tristan Bisbois. Tristan is the director of the Advanced Personalization Ideation Center, which is part of PepsiCo's global R&D organization. She is a scientist by training who in her current role leads the effort to build personalized digital solutions. In this discussion, we explore what the critical success factors are to build an innovative business inside a large organization, what the obstacles for corporate entrepreneurs are and how to overcome them, and how to secure resources and maintain leadership support. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Tristan, welcome to the Work Matters podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Always a pleasure speaking with you. So um, you're leading PepsiCo's Advanced Personalization Ideation Center. That's a mouthful, right? What, what's the what's the big idea behind that? So Advanced Personalization Ideation Center. So we'll call it API Center for, for short. And it makes it a little bit easier. Rolls off the tongue a little bit better. Realistically, this is, you know, it's been just over two years in the making. The reason we started this uh, endeavor was because we saw in you know some mass trends around personalization, right? So really think that that is the way of the future. That that consumers are going to be interacting more so in a different way and want different consumer experiences, especially in the digital platform. So uh, my team's role and what the mission is for for the API Center is to look at different technologies and digital solutions to bring personalization at scale. It sounds sounds simple, but bringing personalization at scale into the masses is actually pretty challenging. So. We do focus a lot around um, kind of in two areas around, like I said, like the technologies and looking at what can be those accessible technologies that, um, you know, are, are offer a frictionless experience. And then also looking at the behavior end of things. So we work a lot with different universities trying to understand, you know, the behavioral elements, um, because ultimately it's, it's really you want to create um, an experience that, you know, someone's obviously enjoyable, but also, you know, is, is, um, um, like I said, kind of that, that frictionless accessible, you know, you want to keep people engaged and coming back to, to say like a platform. This is not just a, a think tank inside PepsiCo. You're actually building some real products. What can you share about some of the interesting ideas that, that you and your team have been working on? I guess we had the option of doing, you know, more like a think tank and putting slides together and, and uh, presenting concepts out and trying to sell that in. But that's just not really my personality. <laughs> it's something that, you know, I think that has probably helped us with um, the success of to be able to actually have something tangible to put in the hands and to show senior leaders and others within the company, because that's really how people can wrap their heads around you know, what this could be and what is the business opportunity here. So, you know, we started our journey creating um, a platform is called Aspire to Be. The whole concept of it was to try and have a platform that you could easily test and learn on. So it had to be flexible, um, the ability to be able to plug in new technologies 
Um, you know, it have to work in different um, regions. Uh, you know, we're a global company, um, so there's a lot of kind of factors that we that we brought into um, consideration when we're, we're building this. But we also just you know really wanted to get it out quickly, and so you know just to really test and learn on it. So what was the you know like a true startup was the minimal viable product that you could have that was good enough <laughs> to put in the hands of consumers, but also give you better data than if you were just to do a consumer insight study online, for instance. So it, it turned into an app um, and that's just an easy way to be able to have consumers download it, you know, experience it. We settled on the original concept of biological age. And the reason we went with that concept was because it's universal, right? So people want to enjoy what they're doing in life for longer. Like that is a universal concept. It's, it's relevant across the globe. Um, it's also relevant across different ages. Um, and so, you know, for us, this was a really exciting potential. And it's also a concept that people understand immediately. So am I older or younger than my actual age, right? There isn't a lot of explanation that needs to happen. So we thought this could be a really powerful hook um, to bring people into a platform. And so we started with a platform called Aspire to Be. It was an app, but we needed some way to be able to provide that um, biometric information or those insights back to the consumer. And so, you know, we had looked at different technologies. We had looked at different ways of, of um, uh, sharing with individuals or assessing people's individuals' biological ages. Um, and what we settled on was a face scan technology, which was really quite cool. So it's called transdermal optical imaging. It's not facial recognition. It's not taking a picture of the face. What it's doing is looking at blood flow patterns and pulse rates under the skin. And so from there, it's able to predict things like blood pressure, heart rate, heart rate variability. Um, and so we're, we're using it as a proxy for biological age based on the proprietary algorithm that we've put together to be able to give, you know, some indication of, of um, it's more around fitness, physical fitness at this point, but obviously we can evolve this as we go forward. Um, and what we found is that, you know, it's because it was such an accessible way, like you can run this technology off of anybody's device. So it could be, it was integrated into the application. Um, you know, we were seeing like 80% trial rates, um, right at the gate. And, you know, I, you know, thinking about it more and as especially getting into like the manuscript writing and, and, you know, kind of reflecting back onto what we've done and why was this so successful for that particular, um, um, use cases or for users to be engaged. And I don't think it was the technology itself. Like, I don't think the draw was people like, oh, I really want to do a face scan. Like, I think the draw was that it was just such an easy and frictionless experience, right? Like it was just, you know, you, you um, do a 30 second scan, it gives you the output and that's it. It wasn't, you know, upload a picture or we were thinking of, you know, do a blood draw. Like it, that would have been, you know, horrendous kind of thing for barriers. But that was something, those were earlier kind of prototypes that we had thought about and looked through and, you know, you're looking at what the consumer experience would be. There's no way that we would get to the same numbers or the scalability that you can with something like this that can be, you know, plugged into any any um, mobile device or um, website for that matter too. Another big exciting endeavor is around um, looking at developing a hydration model. You know, and that would be something that, you know, obviously half our business is, is uh, beverages, um, you know, but but in particular for our, our Gatorade brand and, and for starting with athletes and then moving into the general population could be a really exciting space. So, you know, that could absolutely revolutionize how you're able to assess someone's hydration status. If you can imagine, you know, in 30 seconds, you could get whether you're hydrated or not. So exciting stuff there. Um, lots of work, lots of work with our 
GSSI, so our Gatorade Sports Science Institute partners there and our, and our Gatorade brand team. So, so our topic is entrepreneurship. In, in your views, like what are some of the typical success factors um, to, to make entrepreneurship work in a, in a large organization? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, it's not, um, it hasn't been without its, <laughs> without its uh, challenges for sure. Um, but I think we've done some things that have made it really quite successful. And so I think one is for sure having leadership support. So Antonio Tatarani heads up um, our life sciences um, department. So that's actually where my team sits. So we sit within life sciences, within R&D, within, within PepsiCo. You know, he's been a fantastic champion of this. He's also the chief medical officer for the company, um, you know, been, has been uh, an amazing supporter throughout and also just um, great sounding board guide uh, throughout it all as well. Um, and, and so as our, our CSO, so our chief scientific officer, so Renee Lammers has also been very supportive of the work that we did and, and believed in what we were doing, at least enough to let us play with it and see what we can do and come back with some proof points. Um, and so, you know, I think that that has helped and not only just um, with, like I said, like the, the guiding of it, but also uh, just to be able to get into the right conversations um, when you're ready. And so that's the other thing that, you know, um, it's, it's been really important to know when to keep the head down and to work through it and, you know, put the ego aside and just, um, you know, create and generate um, uh, something products that provide data back that then can be presented back in some sort of meaningful way that, that resonates with what are leaders or stakeholders that then you're going um, uh, to uh uh, pitch it to because essentially that's what we're doing right we're like a startup within the company and so you have to then pitch your ideas the same way as you would um, as as you know a, a budding startup company I do have a, a guiding board so I have two different guiding boards um, one has been uh, a set of internal executives and, and that's grown and changed over the years so we've been in operation like I said like just over two years and that's been really helpful too not only just to kind of um, get the right expertise or comments or whatnot as because we call these pivot persevere meetings so either we're, we're going in the right direction or we need to to switch course but also to help you know like oh, okay that's really interesting and I'm doing this let me introduce you to so and so and so it's just that that network is really really important um, and also kind of you know helps with the success and, and growth um, uh, and trajectory kind of of, of these types of uh, programs I'd say that you know at times this has been you know a bit of the bane of my existence but we have a very small team with a small relatively small budget right and so you know we can always use more money we can always use more people um but keeping it small you almost sort of fly under the radar a little bit like no one's really going to come knocking and if they did it's not even worth their time right to get the money back or whatever it might be at this point and so it kind of allows you that space to really you know be able to um uh, play around with things, get the data that you need, you know, be able to build something from scratch, learn the lessons that you need to learn and nobody really kind of breathing down your throat for results because they haven't invested. There's a lot of money into this space. And so it's more of like, okay, you know what, like everybody's happy with the sunken cost um, if, if there is any, but because of that, because we are limited in people and funds, we have to be very scrappy and creative around how do you then, you know, bring in or how do you get operate and so you know we work um very much with 
and depend very much on our external and internal partners. So I work a lot internally with um, different subject matter experts. I said, you know, some of them are part of the guiding board, but then even beyond that. So we work a lot with our strategy um, and transformation team, which, you know, that team is helping us actually rebuild our platform internally to some extent. Um, We work with our brand teams, we work with insights, design, and they've really been able to help us then elevate um, the expertise that we have within the team. Um, and then also on the the other end, uh, work a lot with um, different tech partners, right? So originally we had built the platform externally, and we still run it that way too for the full program and that for the foreseeable future that probably makes the most sense. But obviously the tech partners we didn't create the face scan technology from scratch kind of thing, right? So working with different groups on you know how do you bring that into the the fold? And then universities have been a huge huge part of what we do too, and in different ways. So some of it has been. Um, bringing in their subject matter expertise, particularly around the space of um, wearables and then also behavioral economics. Um, uh, and then, you know, finally, it's been sort of, and especially now, where we're looking at how can we leverage even the student bodies to be able to um, almost have like learning labs uh, within the different spaces to be able to, um, you know, uh, test out our model or validate the models that we're creating. And so that's the other kind of space that we've really been able to uh, lean into. So yeah, so I know it's a very long-winded answer, but leadership, <laughs> leadership um, in different ways, um, small resource, small uh, budget and, and team has been very successful. Um and yeah, and I think just like, you know, big networking within the company, um, all of those things has really kind of led us to, you know, the success that we've been able to show so far. So what are the typical obstacles, right, that, that corporate entrepreneurs face? And, and how, do you, how do you get over those hurdles? Big companies, there's a lot of layers. Um, <laughs> there's also a lot of bureaucracy. Um, and so, you know, how to navigate that, um, that can be a challenge. Some of it seems, um, because we are a big company, you know, when we want to move fast, so we're, if we're operating like a startup, you want to go quickly and just to get the data that you need. But then it comes to a point where you, you, you can't really do that because you have to fall under what the, the corporation, um, you know, rigor. So IT security reviews, for instance, um, data security and all those things are super, super important. And absolutely you would not want to compromise in, in those spaces. So, you know, to overcome that particular obstacle, you know, it was really important to position things like this as a pilot. And we kept, you know, the app, for instance, under under voucher codes, under test code. And so then you don't have that risk um, and you don't have to go through then the the same security reviews when you're testing and learning, you know, a concept. And so then it's it's less time invested on our team's end and it's less time invested like for the IT review and, and legal, et cetera, kind of thing, right? And so, you know, if you can work within a space that everybody's comfortable with that that allows you still to go at a pace that you that you need. But now we're at a spot like, okay, if we are going to scale, now we have to go through, but we're sure now. We're sure that what we have, you know, has has some legs in it and we have brand support and whatever it might be. And so then at that point, that's the right time to engage the rest of the layers. Um, and, and, you know, even with our tech partners, um, so the... Uh, you know, for the, just to give an example, like for the security reviews, you know, the tech partners have to answer a 440 question, you know, page questionnaire kind of thing. Like, can you imagine if you just, you know, approached a tech company, they've never worked with you before and you put this in front of them, there's no way that they would want to enter that, that partnership. Right. And so, you know, I think that if you can, um, find creative ways to make sure that everybody understands what you're, what you're trying to do, have the right, 
um, kind of uh, stop gaps in place to make sure that it doesn't blow up and it doesn't get out of hand, but then still allows you the freedom to be able to get the data that you need, um, you know, and then with the promise to then when it's ready, if, if it's even that, if, if even that is the right tech to go forward with, um, you know, then you're, you're committed to, to going into that space. So I think that that, that's been a way to kind of that, that navigate that bureaucracy, uh, rules and regulations that you have to abide to as a big company, which I think is great because then when you do come out with something, then everybody should know that the integrity of that is, is of the highest level, right? Like we cannot afford to put anything out that is, is going to jeopardize our reputation or anything like that or the consumer trust. And so, you know, I think it's a really interesting space to be in and, you know, I'm feel very fortunate to be able to be working in this type of space because, you know, you're, you, you can, um, uh, still have that freedom to, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, operate in the, in a, in a scrappy fashion, but then also know that whatever product that you're eventually going to go with has all the, the right checks and balances in behind it, that you maintain that consumer trust and that integrity in behind it. So, um, yeah, it's been great experience so far. So resources is always an issue, right? For startups, but I guess also for, for ventures inside a large organization, and not only just to get the funding, right, to get, get the budget, but also to get the talent. What's been your approach to attract the talent that you need? Because I can imagine that probably there's yeah, plenty of interesting roles within PepsiCo, right? People could do other things. Uh, how, how have you been able to, to get top talent? This type of work, it's really a, a, a personality type, <laughs> right? So it is um, people that are okay with working in ambiguous spaces and that can be tough and especially in a science world so we sit you know within life sciences very you know um advanced degrees uh space you're 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 trained to be a very logical thinker you know a lot of people like to have you know what exactly do i need to do and and how do i get there but but others um such as myself i get really excited about a blank slate like it's like here is here's our end goal of what we're trying to achieve and being able to set that and then figuring out what are the steps to be able to get there and how do you build that? And it might not be, there's certainly not going to be one <laughs> linear path. I think it's just depends on um, who gets really energized about that ambiguity and working through the space and being able to create. And it's not to say that it's not a scientific process because I think actually it probably is more so than even like a marketing process. Like it's very much a, what's your hypothesis, less tested out, see what we get back from it and then, and then move from there. So I've been very fortunate that have been able to, um, you know, have a, a, a great group of individuals come through the center. Um, so I've had actually a complete changeover of the, of the team once. And, you know, that's uh, has been a great experience because it has allowed us to shift with the the resources that we need at the time. So, you know, with the center um, and how we've worked, because we are working like, like a startup does. So year one was kind of ideate and then create. So, you know, we went from an idea on a page to the app in, in 10 months. Right now it's pilot that. And we went in four different directions, looking at four different go-to-market strategies, different different potential avenues there. Well, that then requires a little bit of a different skill set. And, and so, you know, the ability to bring people in, and that's also been, um, uh, whether they're formally report to me or whether they are, you know, within the company, but of coming in for a critical experience, you know, that's kind of been the, the approach. 
um, bringing subject matter experts when needed and for a certain amount of time. And it's been very valuable for those individuals too, because it's a completely different experience than what they would have had in their, in their normal day job. So um, I think it's worked very well. It, it's all about how you spin it, right? Like you can, um, y- you can complain about, you know, not enough resources or being small or whatever it might be, or you can look at it as like, okay, this is what we have, but we have the freedom to do whatever we want. Who do we need to partner with to be able to make this happen? Who else wants to contribute to this space? And, and, you know, and I think that, that attitude and that kind of, you know, it depends on, um, you, you just, I guess, as a leader, you just have to be able to lead your team to believe in behind what, what you're doing um, and, and for all them to contribute to because they're part of the making of it, right? And and that could be really exciting because the ownership is so huge in that space. Whereas, you know, if you are if you have your mandate, yes, it's very clear what you need to do, but that's also really not that exciting because you're just delivering on what, what somebody had told you to do. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's been, it's been a great experience. I've had no issues with, with, uh, getting in top talent and, and our team has performed really well year over year. We actually just received, um, um, what they call the, the PASA Awards, the PepsiCo Academy of Sciences um, Award for for the technology and the platform. And so, you know, um, I think there's there's quite a few accolades that the team has garnered over the last couple of years. So that that says something to it for sure. One of the challenges that I see, right, uh, companies always struggle with that that you know that they some of them are successful in like building a product, but then the the larger question becomes, okay, how do we get that actually into the market? How do you kind of like walk the last mile, creating right, a, a space for the product to, to be part of like a, a larger solution set? Yeah, and and it's really important to tie back to a brand for sure. So I think at the beginning, we went out as brand agnostic and that that's probably the right move until you figure out who is the target consumer for this. And then at some point, yeah, <laughs> it needs to tie back to a brand to be able to scale. And that's and that just makes sense too because, um, you know, that's obviously where more of the funds and the resources and everything that like come into play. And plus, it's really expensive to start up your own brand. And so, you know, to create your own brand in this space and just even just get those consumer acquisitions and everything like that, like it would just be insurmountable. Like why not tap into um, an existing brand in this space? And so um, I think, you know, for some for some individuals, um, they look at what we've done and, and they get it and they're like, yeah, this is a great kind of brand amplification tool. Um, we can use it, you know, as a, let's say like um, as a finite campaign to, for people to kind of get excited to create brand relevance. Um, we have tested that, like we have added, we asked about, you know, brand um, relevance, credibility, et cetera. Um, but then, you know, there's other groups too that are seeing it and, and rightfully so, like, I mean, obviously you'd want this not just to be, you know, a four week program, but something that then people come onto that platform and then stay onto it. So a rewards platform um, has been the other team that makes a lot of sense to work through um, because that then, you know, it's something that uh, you're providing people. Anytime you ask people to come and do something, you have to give them something back of equal value in return. And so, you know, is that, is the biometric data enough for them? So those biological age, heart rate, stress index, whatever that might be, is that enough um, uh, to give back to the users? Or do you also need to reward them with, you know, points towards, you know, whatever Quaker products, Gatorade products, whatever that might look like. And so um, that's kind of been the the approach there. I'd say that the U.S. market has been probably um, one of the harder ones to kind of uh, 
come on board or probably maybe not the harder that's not the right word um i think the one of the last markets to come on board because in the regions they generally they're like us like they don't have a lot of funds um they don't have um you know the means to be able to have really uh, uh, expensive marketing campaigns. So something like this is like, absolutely. Can we please use this um, and try it out and, and whatnot? And so, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success in places like um, we went to India was, was first um, Latin America, you know, kind of feeling out the testing out the waters there. Um, Asia Pacific for sure. So huge success in a pilot in Malaysia, um, you know, China will be next. And so, you know, it's just, it's, um, it just depends on, you know, how the company is structured and whatever it might be. Cause it is really hard to, like, I mean, it's, we are still scientists by definition, <laughs> right? We still sit within R and D. So, you know, stay within your swim lanes and not really, um, you know, uh, overstep the boundaries of, you know, what is the right marketing play can be kind of a hard um, discussion situation or whatever it might be. But if you don't think through or don't have the ability to think through, how can you actually plug in this technology or platform or whatever it might be into the business plans, then it's not going to go anywhere either. And so it's not enough just to, you know, build the model or whatever it might be to then you have to take it one step further and actually even test it out and get the numbers of how best would this serve the brand. Um, and I think that that's kind of what this team's done. That's, that's a little bit unique, um, in comparison to what, you know, is done previously, um, where, you know, you're almost taking it to that, that one step into the business case forward kind of thing to really generate those numbers and, and make it even much more, that much more convincing. You've been in this role now for three years, uh, give or take, right? What are some personal lessons that, that you have learned? I'd say that some of it is is definitely have to put the ego aside. Not that I had a huge ego to begin with, but it's one of those where you know um, I think we we brought it up a little bit earlier around um, you have to go fast, but there also has to be a level of patience, right? And so um, patience is definitely not one of my virtues, uh, just in general. And so when you first generate those proof points, you're like, why can't everybody see how amazing this is, right? And and it's it's like, well, no, it needs it needs the time, it needs the thought, it needs you know, that much more um, convincing data around it to actually be able to get to that that next spot. Or, you know, why can't we have, we're, we're doing all this fantastic work is being recognized, you know, um, why isn't this team growing at the same pace as, let's say, other initiatives? Were? And there's there's always reasons for for that. And so I think that, you know, f for me, it has really been that that um, ability to be a bit more um, patient and and um, uh, understanding of where we're at um, along the trajectory. So, uh, I think that's been kind of you know one one of the important lessons in this space. If you are able to kind of spread the champions um, for what you're doing far across the business and then create this kind of bigger network, there's going to be bigger opportunities or big opportunities that present themselves. So an example for us, I mean, we, uh, as part of the guiding board, we've been always very well connected with the Gatorade team, um, the GX um, platform. Uh, as part of their work, you know, they, they kind of did an activation uh, pre-Super Bowl around talking around like the future of Gatorade, different innovations and technologies, a piece of that. So we were able to be a part of that, you know, so I was able to present then the work to, you know, our CEO, to the other heads of the, the organization. And then obviously also other key customers that they came through the, the activation as a whole. But what that did was then unlock a ton of opportunities after that. So once you, once people are able to see it and leaders are able to see it, then it's, you know, you have the ability then to 
go a little bit further. It's like, well, this is just one piece of it. Like we're just working with Gatorade for this particular part, but we're also looking at Quaker for this and also working with our, you know, HR partners in this direction. And so it really afford those opportunities to then, you know, get this in front of um, people that are high up in the companies that, that, that make the decisions, right. And, and are able then to kind of that then trickles down to work and, and um, work streams that then, you know, was really able to really allowed us to propel the efforts um, and get this uh, to to the next stage, which is where we're at right now. Um, and I say that the last thing in this is, um, you know, coming a little bit back to leadership style. Um, you know, it's really important to be agile um, and and to be able to flip any of those setbacks into opportunities. You know, so I did talk about that our our team had a complete changeover. Um, midway through, you know, you could look at that as as an as a negative, but like in real in reality, um, it was fantastic because not only did those individuals go on to promotions in other parts of the business, so that's a fantastic you know growth opportunity about about people, and really that's you know one of the main goals for sure is this is critical experience and training ground and everything in that space. Um, but it also allowed us to, to, for me to look at the team and look at what we need now going forward and who are the right individuals and what are the right skill sets to then bring in. And so, you know, that, that was a way to, to really flip those setbacks into opportunities. And there's, there's lots of examples like that. I just, you know, that has been something that, you know, you have to be able to do that in, in these types of, of roles for sure, um, to be able to be successful in, in this space. Yeah, I want to go back to a second for something that you said earlier on, right? When you talked about um, the role of the, the the guiding board, right, or the sounding board, and um, I, I think there's something really interesting about how how that was structured in in your case, because it sounds like that you had a board that it was not just sitting there in judgment, right, and sitting waiting for you to come and and right, present your update and then kind of critique it. Um, but but it seems like it was a much more hands-on board who really then also got involved in opening up the doors that, that you needed to be opened, right, to get into the Gatorade organization or, you know. Um, tell us a little bit about that, like, you know, how that board was set up and, 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 and what was useful about that. Yeah, and some of it, it just started because who else in the business was working on personalization? So, like I said, like Gatorade, that's, that's where we started this journey, right? Um, with the GX sweat patch, uh, you know, with, um, so for those that aren't familiar with that, that is, it is a sweat patch that um, basically you put it on your left forearm um, and it measures the amount of fluid and sodium loss during exercise. So then you get a very personalized um, hydration recommendation based on, on that. So um, it was within the life sciences team, the GSSI team, you know, developed that technology and then it was um, taken up by the brand and put into the GX platform. So, you know, um, that made perfect sense to be able to be very well interconnected with, with that team. And the mandate started to be, you know, how, okay, what are we going to do to continue to support that group, but then also what can be done for the general population, right? So in general health and wellness and wellness space. So there were some other activi activities kind of done a little bit around Quaker and personalization, um, you know, but, but so that's where it started anyways. Anybody that had any kind of, <laughs> you know, stiff in this place, because then they also had a general interest. And I think that's what's been so great about this guiding board is that it wasn't like a, a nomination or like a forced, you know, you must be on this kind of thing. It's, it's all voluntary. It is when, you know, asking people to be like, you know, the work that you're doing, I think is really interesting. I would love your expertise. 
on this guiding board? Do you want, do you want to take part? And, and, you know, and that's how it's grown. Um, uh, two fantastic co-chairs. So Antonio Tatrani, like I said, the head of life sciences, our chief medical officer, and then Sean Westcott, who is the lead for R&D in, in Europe, um, who's had a lot of experience in this space and has different um, career roles, um, different companies. Uh, and so for him, you know, for with those two, you know, they have very different approaches. It's been fantastic to have kind of those different insights from both. It's like I said, it's grown, it's changed over the years. Um, it's gaining more momentum, like more people are hearing about what we're doing. Um, so then come to us um, or are pushed in one way or another. So those meetings are a little bit of, yeah, here's the update and then uh, questions to them. Like, are we going in the right direction or this is our pivot point right now? What, you know, based on experience, which, which direction should we go this way, that way kind of thing. And it's a good discussion around that space. Um, what also comes up though too is like, oh, you should connect with so-and-so or, you know, there's somebody on my team that can help you with that. Um, that kind of thing has also been kind of the, um, uh, the beauty of that, of that guiding board. Um, and then sometimes you need almost a, a subset group depending on, you know, the particular question that you're, that you're working on. Uh, it keeps us on track too, <laughs> if nothing else, right? And it's also a really good uh, way to look back to of just how much, because you, when you're moving so fast, you make so much progress over such a small period of time that you almost forget where, you know, everything that's been done. And so it's a nice kind of uh, longitudinal because uh, we meet every six weeks or so, give or take. Um, and so, you know, it kind of shows the progress of, of the team and where we pivoted and why. And, and um, so that also has a kind of a, a different um, purpose, but useful nonetheless. What do you see as like the value of that experience as you step maybe into like a a role that's more about running like an, an established organization? Are there any lessons learned that you think would be useful? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, you know, the ability to be scrappy, um, to think about things differently. Um, the network that now have within the company is massive in different like cross-functional teams um, across the organization has been huge. Just knowing that um, or understanding how external partnerships can really help accelerate and fill gaps uh, is also invaluable in, in any role. I think this role too has been great to position of you know, not necessarily have to go to a more traditional role or maybe what my career path was looking like prior to coming into a role like this. And so now, you know, the aperture has just opened quite substantially in terms of, you know, could you go do a role in a sales organization or could you go do a role in, in marketing or um, strategy, you know, and, and it just, it depends on what the teams are looking for, but the experiences gained in this space, because basically you're, you're almost operating like a CEO of your own company. Right. And so with that comes a lot of different experiences. Like yeah, we don't necessarily have a PNL, or not that far off, right? Like to be able to, you know, generate those business cases and whatnot, you still have to act like you do, right? And so there's, um, I think that the, it definitely goes beyond your traditional kind of life sciences role, um, even beyond what, what you necessarily do within R&D. And, you know, I feel very fortunate to be able to have, have done that. For formal training, you know, during this journey, I just finished my um, master's business during that time frame, And so then that's also allowed me to have, you know, strong science background with a business background, which has been perfect um, because essentially what we're doing, right? We're taking a, we're translating a science or technology into a business opportunity. And so that's, that's, you know, exactly the skill set that they're teaching now when, when people go through their MBA program. So yeah, it's been, uh, you know, <laughs> overall, overall great experience and just like an exciting 
um, and very, you know, um, critical point in, in my career too, because, you know, it's, it's a pivot point for me too. So, uh, exciting times ahead. First of all, I'm super impressed by that. You found the time while building, right. This, this, this startup, right. To also get a, get a master's degree. So that, that only speaks, I think, to, to your, to your capacity, right. To, to really uh, make things happen. Tristan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience about entrepreneurship in a large organization. I think it's a fascinating story. Um, really, uh, really appreciate you doing this. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Thomas. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.